0: Jared, you ready? I'm ready. Okay, this is, I actually like wrote down my intro, so I don't have to like stumble on mm. myself. Mm, I don't...
1: Look at you getting fancy.
0: So when I say your guys' name, I'm gonna say, uh, and I have with me Jared, and then Jared goes hi, and then Mandy,
1: and Mandy goes hi. Do we have to sound broken like that? <laughs>
0: Do I sound broken? Hi.
1: <laughs> <That's> so <sad>. <laughs> hi. Hi.
0: <laughs> okay, 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 guys. I see how it is.
1: <laughs> Someone's forcing you to say hi. hi. You're having a really shit day. <laughs> Worst day of my life. <laughs>
0: Uh, okay, you guys ready for this?
1: I'm ready. Let's do it.
0: Okay. Hello and welcome to the second episode of the Mighty Flail Podcast and I have with me Jared. Hello there. And Mandy. Hello. From last week's roundtable discussion about session zero. Today we're doing a Q&A. <laughs> Broken. Ready to where I, have, <laughs> where I have collected several questions from random people on the internet so we could possibly answer them. And I spe- specifically picked them out, so we didn't actually have to know D&D that well. So it should go fine. You guys ready?
2: I am ready.
1: Time to give horrible advice. Yes, that I'm not qualified to give. That's right.
0: Okay, from KZY Earn. Hello, I've got a question. How do I stop my players from speaking to the town guards so often? Kill them.
1: What? <laughs> The players or the guards?
2: Both. (laughs) Now, um, with that, I mean, you, you just make a sense of danger in the guards. Um, have the guards either fuck up the the, uh, players, or I don't know, put them in jail, have them arrested, take away their magic items.
1: Or just, like, make it not fun, like, just have the guards ignore them.
0: I mean, I feel like in this question, you could do so much with it. Like, if, like, another player, like, they keep going to the same guards or something like that, and be like, hey, got this new side quest, you got any info? And be like, no. They just say no. (laughs) Yeah. Nothing. move along. Or just, like, you know, maybe send them some bad information. Like, what Jared said, just, like, say, like, oh, yeah, I think he went over there. And they go over there, and it's just, like, it's a trap or something. (laughs) Or, I don't know. Just wrong info.
1: My question is why why is them talking to the guards an issue
0: well I'm assuming I, I don't think they went into it too much um, I'm assuming that when there's like a new quest or something they always ask the same like NPCs over and over and over again and it's just like I guess it's just getting like tiresome or boring or well, he's afraid he's giving out too informa- too much
1: information then those town guards um, no longer work there and there's some new people working and <laughs> they're super unhelpful and boring
0: oh, yeah john john got a promotion man he's not even here yeah that sounds about right i think we answered that pretty well
1: yeah
0: okay from a guy named fu, fu. 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 if animate object is cast on a net and that net grapples a creature is that creature restrained as if they were captured by a thrown net, or grappled as if they were grappled by a creature with animate object stats? Oh
2: god. Um, god um, Did you get I that? That was kind of like, like a circle. I feel like it would be um, uh, restrained? I feel like you would go with the point of order that the net had then I'd go for the grapple. (laughs) Yeah, because yeah, restrained—it's more more binding, more lethal. I would personally go with the restrained just because it has all the uh, same properties that it had, whether it's animated or not.
0: I guess so. I was thinking it could go like either way. Like, it depends on what the the group is going. If someone's going like, "Ooh, that's really cool," I'd be like. Do the coolest thing possible. I'd be like, it'd be, it'd be like just like a like a net. Now you're cra- ca- captured in the net and you have to do like, some weird shit to like, cut yourself out. Mm-hmm. I would go with that. Rule of cool always went to me.
2: Always rule of cool.
0: Yeah. And- Andy, how do you feel? <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> I don't know the rules well enough to participate in this conversation. <laughs> Okay. Gonna, like just do whatever <laughs> sounds good.
0: Yeah, I'm always for that. Whatever whatever everyone else says like oh that's cool I'm like yeah I'm doing that shit. Okay, next question. From Mantis Tabagdin.
2: Tabagdin.
0: Yes. He's looking for advice for running a true neutral villain. Hmm. Mm-hmm. True neutral yeah, villain that one out.
2: I feel like that um just like an easy go-to for any neutral character is that of a druid Um, with a druid you know they have what's good for nature in mind and maybe in the true nature of neutrality uh, they're just maybe helping a super volcano help uh, it keep its natural course so maybe you're attempting to Stop the super volcano that is naturally maybe amassing a wealth of like magic energy naturally from the earth. And this villain, so and so, um, is trying to just let nature do its course and have another purge of the world a la the like extinction event of dinosaurs or meteors or whatever. And he's not necessarily with the most malicious intent to destroy humanity, but he's merely letting nature take its course.
0: Damn, man. It's like you really thought about this beforehand. Like, is this like an evil villain that you've had
2: in your head for like so long (laughs) and you finally like let him out? Nope. When I think of neutral, I think of druids.
0: That was cool, man. I like that a lot.
2: Yeah, it was a little little fun thought exercise. Uh, Beyond the Druid, I I can't think of anything, like, super neutral. What are you thinking?
0: I was thinking, like, you know, you played Fable 3, right? Yeah. Yeah, like, in the very end, where he he suddenly becomes the king, and he finds out, like, all this bad stuff the last guy was doing was actually, like, trying to help. Mm -hmm. I feel like that's, like, a true neutral kind of way to look at it. I mean, you're doing, like sometimes bad things for good reasons and good reasons for, like, bad things. I mean, it could, like, go either way, right? Yeah. That's technically true neutral.
2: I mean, yeah, in the nature of neutral, I mean, you're just kind of... You do good you're, and bad. You're, you're picking those sides. You're just doing what's good for, like, the course of fate and nature and whatever.
0: Yeah, he could be a good villain. Yeah, I think that would work. You find out, like, he's doing child labor, and then your your group is just like, oh, this is bullshit, we gotta take him down. And you get there, and you're like, oh, we kinda needed that. He's actually
2: (laughs) treating them really nicely. (laughs) Three square meals a day, (laughs) they get days off.
0: Right? Setting up for the future? I mean, shit, man. Andy, do you have any thoughts? (laughs) This is a tough like, one. I think I feel like I'm not kinda...
1: adding much to the conversation here. I don't know. I think true neutral is hard because, like, especially a true neutral villain that feels counterintuitive. But I guess, I guess, what some people would see as a villain, it would be someone else's hero. Mm-hmm. Just depends on what the cause is that they're fighting for, and if you agree with it or not.
2: Yeah. In the end, uh, good and evil is vastly gray, and uh, one person's good, one person's bad. Mm-hmm. You can't always yuck somebody's yum.
0: <laughs> so you yuck somebody's yum? Yeah. Is that like an actual saying?
2: Yeah, yeah. That's, that's a kink term.
1: It's yeah. not just for kinks.
2: I mean, I've never seen it used in anything other than kinks.
0: What What are you like? What do you know about, about these kinks or something? Uh,
2: you know, just it's whatever
0: just it's talking about.
1: It's a phrase out. that means the same thing as, like, whatever floats your boat. <laughs> yeah. Whatever yucks your yum. I'm not gonna yuck your yum. So just because you like it, or just because I don't like it, doesn't mean I'm gonna say it's gross that I think you do.
0: I don't know. That saying is just weird. I don't know. (laughs) I'm not. I'm. I won't accept it.
1: You're you're literally yucking the yum of the phrase. Yucking my yum. Yuck the
0: fuck out of that yum. It's not working for me. Okay, we'll move on. From Deegis, I am a fairly new DM in training. What I'm wondering is how much information about enemies should be conveyed in combat. Like, do I say the exact HP values, resistances, abilities, blah, 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 or do I just vaguely convey this info, leaving my PCs unsure of exactly how close to defeating an enemy they are?
2: Let's throw it over to Mandy first. What do you think, Mandy?
1: I...
0: As, like, a lifetime player, which one would you, like, prefer?
1: Can we repeat the question?
0: Basically, um, say I threw out, like, a T-Rex at you, and you're dealing some damage to him. Should I say, like, oh, he's got, like, 15 HP left, or should I be, like, oh, he looks looks pretty beat up, he's pretty bloody, he's he's lost a leg? Um, like, which one would you rather have?
1: I I think saying the HP values that they have is... I don't know. It makes it feel less real. That feels cheap. Like, yeah, I don't know. It feels fake. Yeah, because that makes it feel more just like you're playing, like... I don't know, like a video game where you can see both sides' health or something. Like, and even, like... uh even, not just HP, but saying like, oh, well, they didn't take as much damage from that that uh, firebolt because they have resistance to firebolt. No, that's weird. That's not something you would know as a character, but saying like, well, it looks like they didn't really get affected as much as you might have thought from that firebolt. Then you can infer that means that they're fire resistant, but just saying they're fire resistant or saying they've only got 10 HP left. No, that's, that's weird. And it feels like it can get, uh, like meta gamey.
0: Yeah. I feel like D and D is like, first and foremost, like a narrative kind of game. It's all role playing. So if you just throw those stats in there, like, yeah, he's got 50 HP left and he's visits to fire. So be prepared. Yeah. That kind of ruins the whole moment. Like, yeah, I totally feel that.
1: Yeah. And a lot of times when we, finally, like, kill the bad guy, we don't know we're about to kill him. So that moment of being like, all right, and how do you want to do this? Like, that's always, you know, an epic moment. And it's nice for that to be, like, a surprise sometimes.
0: And as, like, a DM, like, I went through having a BBEG in my first campaign just kind of turn into a dud. So I completely understand, like, when people... Kind of fudge things in the background. So I think telling the players what the HP is and like all the information like ahead of time or whatever just would kind of ruin the moment. Like, yeah, you
1: you shouldn't know up front how easy a monster is going to be to defeat.
0: Like, unless it's like the weakest thing in the world. Like, it's two HP. Just just smack it.
2: (laughs) No, I, I, I definitely think that. There, there are ways to convey information, uh, to your players, without just throwing hard stats at them. If I, I'm also one of those DMs that, if my uh, big monster is uh, going down like super duper quick, you know, just throw an extra hundred HP on that bad oh, boy. I
0: totally do that. And if it's supposed to be a really cool moment, they've just like. One shot the guy. I'm just like, oh, he got buffed.
2: <laughs> mm-hmm. And you could you could easily put like a little makeshift halfway point by saying something as simple as, "They're looking a little rough there," or, oh, "They're getting pretty bloody." Uh, it looks like they're on their last leg, where you can infer that they're pretty close to death, but you're not giving out those hard numbers in case. Maybe they're off by like two HP, but they just did something so cool that you're, you're just how do you want to do this. That was
0: awesome. <laughs> That's true. You could go that way too. Mm-hmm.
2: And it's just some little keywords such as, "Oh, you uh, you hit that monster, but it's not looking like it did as much damage as you're hoping," or you can see that the uh, heat from the f- your flame spell has kind of washed over him not seeming to be as effective as you would have hoped there, there, there are ways to subtly nod that uh, you have, they have weaknesses or strengths that they're feeling uh, like they're on their last leg be creative with it rather than just kind of throwing out hard numbers and it's generally more fun for those roleplay moments
0: the buzzwords are hard man I try to think of things, so but I'm just like, he looks rough. That dude's having a bad day. He took out an arm. I don't know. <laughs> Kitty, stop it.
2: Kitty, stop it.
0: Kitty's attacking my phone.
2: Is it Frodo? Yes. Of course it is. It's kind of a dick.
0: Yeah. He just wants so much attention. Okay. All right, Bly asks, "What are your thoughts on Zone of Truth being used in trials?" What sort of trials?
2: Oh, no, like a kind
0: of, uh, like a tribunal or like okay. uh,
2: like judge and jury kind of stuff. Um, I mean, it's an effective tool. Uh, I think that it's justified for like a concise judgment. Uh, it might be seen as overkill, but I mean, in the end. They have to be on this tribunal for some reason or another.
0: That's true. I actually so. kind of, like, looked up the spell. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't... It's not, like, fair to see him in Harry Potter, you know? Where it's yeah. just, like, totally, like, truth. Like, they could, like, still. work around it and be like, all right, tell me where the, the leader is. They'd be like, well, he's within 100 miles. Yeah. He's not lying. <laughs> so I feel like it's kind of like, like a polygraph test. I mean, you can totally cheat that stuff. Mm-hmm. So, I don't I don't know. I, I feel like it would work with, like... Like, if you use it against, like... I want to say, like, dumb people. Or, like, pawns. I mean, that shit would probably work. But if you're going against, like, okay, this is, like, the mob boss. Like, this shit ain't gonna work, you know? I don't know. I feel like it's an iffy thing. Like, I wouldn't see it as, like, a moral thing. But, I don't know, I guess... Why not? Yeah definitely like a cool spell to use like to your players like if they get in trouble and they go to prison or something be like like zone of truth like
2: (laughs) no it's it's definitely like a like an efficient um like torture or yeah kind of like a torture device blackmail people with it i don't i guess that's where the moral grayness comes in
0: yeah i guess yeah it depends on how you use it guess if you're like a corrupt government yeah you could totally use it on like poor people like okay where's like the the rebel leader (laughs) like
1: uh, he's
0: in my basement
2: (laughs) yeah they can't deliberately lie but they can yeah yeah overall fun spell can be fun. Uh I, I definitely would use it in like a legitimate trial type situation.
0: Yeah. I think it's definitely something people don't use a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh let's see. Degis asks, uh, "One other question I have. Um how do you accommodate the big differences in durability of PCs of DM? Like my players have a half-orc paladin with a half-elf bard, and clearly the paladin is way more durable." Do I just not target the bard? Is there a monster targeting
1: priority I should know? It's uh, the bard's responsibility to not be up front and center.
2: But also it depends on the monster that you're using. Uh, I mean, every monster has their own level of intelligence and strategy. Uh, some monsters, like, if you have just, like an owlbear, the owlbear is going to attack... Whatever is closest to it. Whereas, if you're fighting, say, like a group of assassins, they're gonna go for that squishy, like spellcaster range target. They, they, the smarter, uh, smarter enemies will go for the weaker enemies, and the more primal, animalistic enemies are gonna just go for whatever is within uh, swinging range. Oh
0: yeah, I, I agree with that. It really depends on like what the creature is and like what your setup is yeah like if the the bard is just like in front of course he's gonna get fucked but if yeah if you're playing like the ancient dragged green dragon he's gonna be like I know what the fuck to do I'm gonna fuck with these guys so I mean yeah it, it completely depends on like your setup your counter who you got who's where the party is I mean you kind of have to play that by ear pretty much
1: but if this, if the squishy character keeps trying to play tank, then like that, that's kind of on them. You're gonna get hurt. I mean, yeah, that, from that point out, it's you your fault. <laughs>
0: Let's see. Let's see. Alternative bolster seventy eight says, I'm going to be starting a pirate campaign with six to seven people who sometimes will be dropping in and out. So it sounds kind of like a West Marsh kind of thing. Um, for the pirate captain, should I award that role to one of the players who will always show up or should I have the captain be an NPC? How have you handled pirate ship campaigns?
2: Well, um, I had one kind of piratey character. Uh, it really just depends uh, on how or what kind of role you plan on giving the pirate captain uh, sometimes a group of people really thrive when one of them's a leader but also if you're gonna give most of the airtime to the captain or give them too many or too uh great of responsibilities or too much control over the party sometimes it can definitely benefit from kind of handing that off to an npc so all of the roles can be kind of delegated equally But in my pirate campaign, uh, or little mini adventure, uh, my character just kind of naturally took the mantle of captain, uh, even from the, uh, person who was supposed to be in charge. It was kind of a morally, uh, morally dark, uh, campaign, but yeah, you just want to kind of play the room more than anything.
0: See, I just want to completely disagree with that. I don't think that any player should be, like, the captain. Yeah. I don't think that will ever, personally, I want to say, like, my experience, because technically I've never actually been, like, in a pirate campaign or anything like that. But I'm always afraid of, like, even if everyone's, like, on board at first, sooner or later, like, the captain, like... I feel like it might like go to their head and they might like tell orders. And one of them going to be like, fuck you, man. I'm, I'm sick of this shit. <laughs> like, the captain is going to become like the main character. So I don't see that ever like really working in my mind. Like I can kind of see like an unofficial, like I think this happens to, like most like adventuring parties where you have like the unofficial leader who's like the the talking one, I guess. But technically, that's like the only part of the leading that they do. The rest is just kind of like a democratic thing. But yeah, having like one guy being like the the, the leader, I feel like is just a recipe for disaster.
1: I don't know. I that's just me. It also depends on how much, um, like how much of a role the captain is going to have, in it as far as like deciding what to do next. Like, um, because how do you know that, like, their plan is going to be the same as, like, the DM's plan? Like, obviously, the DM can change accordingly. But if you have, like, a main story in mind, and then you have the captain not, like, following that story at all, I don't, that can be kind of difficult.
0: I mean, yeah, if you're a captain, you can do whatever you want. So, I mean, it's... I believe it's just not going to work. <laughs> Bam.
2: Jared.
1: Yeah, we need um, Jacob
2: here.
0: <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> the, he had that pirate campaign like set.
2: <laughs> I think in that, uh, in the roles that he was kind of delegating out to people, I think Captain was one of the roles. Yeah. As well as like first mate and stuff, but... Yeah, it really just kind of depends on the group that's playing. Like, obviously, there, there are some people who do take power and uh, abuse it. And then there are others who say they get that kind of captain role, but still uh, have that kind of Vin Diesel firmly moment. <laughs> and uh, everything's just kind of a, a democracy, even though they're the captain.
0: I mean, I guess technically that's the only way I can see it working.
2: But also, like, there are different kinds of captains, and maybe they're just the captain because they own the ship. But maybe they're not the uh, strongest adventurer, so they always defer to uh, those who adventure more. But just kind of like with D&D, everything's kind of... Uh nothing nothing works out the way you want it to. So I, I do agree that sometimes <laughs> it is best to kind of delegate those high powered uh like characters who have more so control to like an NPC that's uh allowed to kind of move the story in the way that the DM intends it to.
0: Yeah. Because I feel like, you know, you, you'll get that one guy who's, who's going to be that main character. You know, his R- RPG horror story is like in the making.
2: <laughs>
0: Told you to fucking do this. Blah, blah, blah.
2: Yeah, I'm always against a main character. Yeah. We don't need that. It's a fun team game.
0: <laughs> it's co-op. I mean, come on. Yeah. Alright, so next question. Katakuro mm. asks, I am new at the game. And I don't know how to manage different stores. Like, what's the store's product range? Can PC buy any armor at Armory Shop or any ingredients for spells? How to manage the price of buying and selling items or keep staff for original value? Uh, can PCs buy as many health potions as they want? And blah blah blah. blah. And he goes on about all the options. Uh, just like how, like, how do you balance the game around this? And I'm thinking, like, you just have to play it by ear. <laughs> have some preset stuff. Like if they're in like the city, I feel like anything should be available, right? If it's like water deep, like everything should be there. But if you're like in the middle of nowhere and just like this village, I'm like you could probably buy some food or some rope, a saddle, I don't know. So I, yeah, I feel like it's like by ear and just have like certain tables on hand.
2: Yeah, I mean, in, in the end, no, uh, no. I mean the store. We'll have whatever you want, whatever you find that the store needs. Uh, But yeah, if you're in a big city, more than likely you're going to be able to find anything that's on that kind of uh, player handbook equipment table. You're going to find that in most places. Um, You can obviously, in like a smaller town, kind of pick and choose out uh, what kind of equipment that the small town feasibly may have, like... If you're in the middle of nowhere, you go to a little general store in this, like, 20-person town. You're not... You're probably not going to have everything that's there. You're not going to have, like, all of those instruments. You're not going to have, say, uh, an arcane focus or even just, like, a grappling hook. There's no need that the... Uh, this little podunk town has all of that. so
0: I, I think it of, comes back to common sense.
2: You know? Yeah, Just use your best judgment. Uh, it's generally best to stick to the price points that they give you within the player's handbook. It makes things easier, but maybe that podunk town doesn't have a huge economy, and maybe it's just cheaper for everybody, so you could maybe drop those values by maybe a third of the percentage of their cost or a quarter of the percentage and maybe you're in a wealthier town where they have uh, maybe their long swords are cast with hilts of gold and so maybe you add an extra gold or two or 25% to that double the price because it looks good that's a cool idea everything's pretty static you just kind of Use your imagination. Use that common sense, and uh, just kind of think what fits in this town. Like, what is this general store gonna have that maybe isn't available that you would find in a big city? You're not gonna have vials of poison in the middle of a Arctic fishing town. <laughs> Or maybe you do. I don't know. Explain why you have it. (laughs) So, Mandy, like, being the player, Mm
0: -hmm. would you prefer to have some, like, just, like, have it a bit more realistic? Like, what we're talking about, like, in some PODOC town, you're probably not going to get, like, certain stuff. But what if, like, in this certain town, like, it's kind of like a well-kept secret. There's this, like old lady who creates, like, crazy-ass poisons and everything, and she's just experimenting, would would that be something you'd be, like, for? Or would be like, okay, this seems a little
1: unrealistic? No, I think... I think that's fun, and I think it would make sense. I think maybe, like... Maybe you don't just automatically know about it, but maybe if you're asking for a certain item or something at a store, they can be like, I don't have it, but... I do know someone who is really down that the that kind line. of thing. And like, then you have to like, go find them or something. Or you have to like, know the magic word to get in. Or, you know, something.
0: That actually sounds kind of cool. <laughs> like, also, another thing that's popping up in my head, like, um, say, like, in this long campaign, your group's, like, kind of dying a little bit and they're in desperate need of some, like, health potions. Do you throw them a bone and just, like, okay, they happen to have a few health potions on hand? Or would you be like, okay, I
2: mean, you guys are just fucked? It really just depends on, like, where they are. Uh, if they... We're investigating this cave uh, out in kind of the middle of nowhere. There's a little uh, town kind of hovel of maybe 20, 30 people. You could throw them the bone in that. We don't really get magic items or healing potions, but I do have this old dusty healing potion that I could sell for (laughs) 50 gold. Uh, I just have one.
1: You could also, like, if they're in the middle of a dungeon or something, suddenly there's a treasure chest in the corner. Or a dead adventurer. Yeah, a dead adventurer that that just so happens to have two healing potions in it.
0: It's not a bad idea, actually. I'm stealing some of these ideas for (laughs) TOA, just throwing that out there. (laughs) Uh... So when it comes to like magical items and what i mean pcs always want to buy magical stuff how do you decide um what kind of magical items to like sell like i feel like this is kind of hard because you don't know at that point in time like what's too strong what's too useful what's just some useless item like fire resistance and it turns out you guys are going to like the ice temple up north and it's just completely useless like how do you balance that out?
2: Well, I've ruined my campaign with magic items.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's your fault, though.
2: <laughs> yeah, uh, really, it just depends. Um, kind of looking back on it, it really, you're even in uh, the session zero. You kind of want to set the expectations of how um, how populated the world is with magic items and in most cases, in a lot of different campaigns, uh, it's very hard to buy magic items, like you'll find them maybe in those larger cities, those water deeps those, uh oh god those those giant ones the new York um, cities, the capitals of the, of the continent or the holds or whatever, and then you may buy them, uh, what they have, you know I, I like to do a good mixture of, uh, why do they have these? Or maybe, oh, this is useful here. Maybe if you're going into the frozen north. You might have some boots of the, the hinterlands or something that it makes sense that the local mages may have enchanted so-and-so boots because so many people go up north and freeze to death. Or maybe there's a traveling salesman who just happened to have traveled to that location from the southern coast, even though they're in the Arctic, and so they have a lot of kind of nautical theme stuff. That's how I uh, usually uh, treat magic items in my world. They have a sense of uh, story to them a lot of the times, or they're there to aid in the uh, party though I try my best to make magic items uh expensive in that they aren't super easy to get but and you can't hoard them yeah just try not to super overpower your players but if, if they if you think they need a nudge just maybe throw in that ring of uh we just happen to have one ring of frost resistance Though so I'm a very gracious DM that likes to help my players out and I've created a bunch of little monsters.
0: <laughs> you really did. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's going to be good. Just give me the full moon, man. Give me the full moon. <laughs> Nobody knows. I have like a bow where I think it does 5d8 damage per attack with if it's a full moon. So I can like accent surge and just do insane like 200 damage or something like that easy
2: yeah it's a mistake (laughs) but it's also uh, it's also made by uh made by a goddess so you know it's meant to be (laughs) broken
0: i mean you i think you've neutered it pretty well i mean just don't ever make it a full moon and then bam it's fine
2: yeah but (laughs) you know you're gonna have your first full moon on the horizon, Breezy. Yes. Yes. Uh,
0: so I guess one of the way you could do magical items, like this is this is what I did. I I live and die by chaos, so <laughs> I just have tables. I have this website I go to where it just randomizes magical items or certain, like, what the shop might have. and just randomizes it, like, every time you press the button, it's like, oh, now it has this in the shop. So I don't have to do any of the work. It does all the money for me. I pay three bucks a month for it. (laughs) Totally worth it. Uh, Yeah. Did you guys like that? Was it stupid? Admit it.
1: For me, I just, um... That, our campaign is, like, not an open-world campaign, so there's certain magic items that are just pointless for us to have, so if those are what is showing up in the randomizer, then it's, like, it's just not useful. Yeah, that's true. But that's also, like, just going to a store doesn't guarantee that everything in the store is gonna be something that you could use.
0: I like kind of defending it, but I was just being lazy. (laughs)
1: That's literally
0: it. I didn't Mm want to like spend like eight hours sifting through like magical items and just like mundane stuff that they might use. I was just like, I got, I got other stuff to do. (laughs) There. I don't know. Doing magical items is just like I'm actually not too excited every time I do that. Mm -hmm. Like I'll I'll reward. A couple things if you do something like i'm fine with that but when it comes to shops, i'm gonna take the laziest route possible
2: well even in the uh uh dungeon masters uh guy they have tables to roll for magic items yeah but like, i'm not sit- a big fan of those
0: tables i don't know i feel like they're not as good
2: yeah i mean they're they're missing items for sure
0: yeah Especially the new stuff that keeps propping up. So I feel yeah. like it's, like, outdated. And I think I feel like the money's off in some of that stuff, and I don't know.
2: I believe I'm XP level 3 actually made uh, some new updated uh, loot tables that Ooh. include everything and are more balanced.
1: Nope.
0: Alright, let's go to the next question. Uh Conscious comedian eight says, "So I'm DMing a campaign where my players hunt or capture monsters throughout a large city. I've created an evil scientist who's also an asshole type character that would release the monsters into the city, but I'm lost on how to find his motivation for doing so. I've thought about making him like want chaos, but that seems like lazy and boring. So what is a good motivation for an evil scientist to release monsters onto the city
1: populace?" <sighs>
2: That's a tough one.
1: To release monsters. Um...
0: So I saw one answer on this. I thought it was actually kind of cool. He said, um, make them as, like, his children. And he just kind of, like, releases them out there to, like, you know, propagate the family. And I was just like, that's fucking awesome.
2: Or maybe he has a sense of... um... Oh, God. Maybe he... Wants to make the town the greatest it can be, and he's just trying his hardest to create heroes that'll protect the town and to create these heroes to kind of mold them and make sure that they're really up to maybe an end game. Like, he could know that in three years' time, a Huge creature is going to come and invade this world, and so he's making heroes that are strong enough to destroy it by ah. creating these monsters, letting them out on the town, or maybe he's making these monsters as a uh, a means of defeating this monster. But they are getting released into this uh, city by accident. And, uh, it's up to these new heroes that have kind of popped onto the scene to take them down, but in kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy sort of way. I think we found our
0: new, true neutral villain right
2: here. Yeah! If we just
0: go back, this is perfect. <laughs> Many you got any ideas? This is hard.
1: Um, maybe maybe it's like, a another like druid thing where the people that are currently living there are like ruining the earth and and you know not abusing the animals but you know abusing the earth and and taking over the the animals homes and cutting down their trees and all that stuff and so the the bad guy is just like nope you're are you're you're all done now <laughs> You're taking over the animal space and that's not fair.
2: Ooh, kind of okay. hops off of that. Maybe rather than releasing like just run-of-the-mill mad science type of creatures, maybe he's releasing the grand elementals, the kind of spirits of nature. Oh shit. That come out as these gargantuan beasts, like the gargantuan uh, Phoenix or uh I know there's a giant stone turtle.
0: Oh, yeah, those
2: big guys. Oh, yeah, I think it's cool. like a seroton. The
0: Zeratin? yeah. Oh, that guy's so cool. And there's like an Elder Tempest that's like basically a fucking hurricane. Yep. Oh, that would be Cool. <laughs> Elementals just don't get enough love in D and D, like ever.
2: Let's go to those outer, those uh, like elemental planes. Yeah.
0: Yeah. There's actually a creature I was looking at on um, second edition for monsters, and there's a composite element. Oh God. And it's so cool. It's like yeah, you mix elements, and there's this one. that's basically like a, a ground and air and fire elemental. <laughs> And you find them in deserts basically, and they're like tiny little creatures. And they just, when you get like fucking a thousand of them together, it turns into like a giant f- flaming dust storm, and it surrounds a group of people, and it literally just like tears their skin off the bones. <laughs> so I'm just like, this shit is so cool. <laughs> Why didn't you add these? <sighs> I like monsters. There are some I'm really saying.
2: cool ones. You just gotta find them. I
0: know. They need updated bad. Yeah, I think we have some good ideas. I just, I would, I would play a one shot with some of these. Mm-hmm.
2: No, the the giant creature thing in general. That just sounds like it'd be like a fun like anti kaiju like one shot or mini adventure. Yeah, it's like <laughs> a good. It's a good like high level campaign or high level uh mini adventure. Let's see,
0: next question. GM Ruin asks, one of my players has a slod just sitting inside of them. If you don't know what a slod is, it's basically, what do you call them, like, alien frog creatures? And there's like, what, six different colors of them, and they each kind of do their own thing. So if they scratch you, they basically implant, like, an egg inside of you. So the scripted text makes it seem like there's no indication that the egg is there until it bursts out. Which is, I think that's true. Um, so that seems a little unfun to me. So how have you guys run this? What little indicators have you given that something's inside the player? I mean, I think you could, like, reach out to different creatures, too. Like, some kind of something's gestating inside the person. Do you show signs that there's something inside of you? Or do you just go by kind of like, you know, what's written? And just like, okay, in one d 4 weeks, a thing's going to pop out at you. You're dead. <laughs>
2: um, I think definitely with something gestating inside of you, you, you can hint at it in subtle ways. Um, everything from, oh, you're feeling a little sick there.
1: Suddenly, or, pickles sound really good. <laughs> Suddenly,
2: pickles <laughs> They're
1: sound are pregnant.
2: <laughs> yeah, you could yeah. even have that egg kind of kick or move or whatever. Oh, Jesus. Oh. Like a fucking alien. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> fuck that. You could change their personality, maybe make them sick, give them, like, sunken-in eyes. You could almost treat it like a virus within them, kind of feeding off of their life force. Maybe it is kind of absorbing some of the nutrients within their body into their kind of sloth like egg.
0: I guess that's, like, really the answer. I mean, you just kind of show symptoms. Just yeah. make it worse until, like, it gets... You know, the worse, like, the further along it goes, the worse the symptoms get. So, like, if it's like one more day until it gestates, you, you feel like, what, well, you're probably like fifth level exhaustion at that point or something.
2: Well, I think fifth level of exhaustion is death.
0: Is it? I thought there's six.
2: Yeah, maybe there are. The
0: one, the one before death. <laughs> you can't move. I don't know. <laughs> what are the levels
2: of exhaustion? Okay, there are six levels. So, ah, so fuck yeah. Level five. See, I know
1: exhaustion?
0: shit. I know shit.
2: Okay, so your speed is re- reduced to zero. You can't move anymore.
0: Yeah, but it's like all the other stuff on top of it, too, right? Like, yeah. disadvantage so. and like, everything, can't move.
2: You're pretty much half-dead. You're feeble-minded, I don't know. And then you watch the movie Alien and let that happen. <laughs> Chess Burster.
0: With, like, the group they have, it's probably just, like, all this shit happens. They're like, dude, what is happening, man? <laughs> not even like trying to help them just like you're just wasting time <laughs> what would be like a cool symptom to have if there was like a slawed egg inside of you
2: um, maybe towards the end of it maybe their skin starts forming a kind of viscous fluid, er, fluid on, on it kind of like a little slime coming from their pores Mm. So they're kind of cutting that out. Maybe it smells a little bit. Okay. Maybe their skin starts to turn whatever color that the slot is.
1: Ooh, I like that.
2: Stuff. That's a cool idea.
0: I like the idea of like the pregnant thing. Like mm. it's just tables. like jesting. It's just yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Like, but take it to the next level. Like, I heard, like, I saw this uh, movie, I, like, a long time ago. Where this one guy was just, like, um, under control of a witch or something. And he's forced to eat all these, like, these worms and bugs. He's shoving inside of his body. And it's, like, dirt. he gets back into town. And they're like, bro, what happened to you? And he just starts puking all these bugs and shit. And all this it just comes out. Like, what if it's something like that? You just, like, you want to eat, like, the gross shit. I think that would be pretty cool. Like, you have you tell the person, like, you have a sudden urge to eat, like, worms and fucking cockroaches. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I like that idea. That's fucked up. (laughs) Alright, next question. Carla Shaw asks, what do you do about players that insist on always squeezing out an action or something as soon as you start describing a potential combat scenario? Like, we've always had those people, like... You turn and see a giant ogre coming right before he gets to us. I'm like, can I use climb up the street? While she's doing that, I'll dive behind a rock. Can I try to run as close as possible? Like, you know, before you even finish the sentence. So apparently this type of scenario happens almost every combat with my group. Most of the time, it's perfectly fine. and Encouraged that they prepare themselves for a fight. But sometimes their choices leave them with like no choice but to engage at a moment's notice. Yet they still insist on getting a little freebie in at the moment. I'm usually made to feel like I'm doing something wrong if I tell them no. So, Mandy, like, as the player, do you feel like, do you like those freebies or do you just, like, kind of let it happen? Like, how do you feel about that whole situation?
1: I think it depends. I think it depends on if... I were doing something where I would have, like, seen him coming, like, or if you had me, like, roll a perception check first, or, and how, like, how far away they are. Like, if they're at a distance away, then I would argue that I'd be able to, like, do something, but if I didn't notice them until they were already in, like, range of doing something, then no, they caught me by surprise, and here we go. Roll for initiative.
0: (laughs) I feel it's more fun that way. Like, asking for freebies, like, sometimes I think it's fine, but, like, if it's, like, every single battle, I feel like yeah. they're just gaming the system.
1: And it's not, it's not real. Like, you're not always going to be prepared for every danger that comes your way. Sometimes you're gonna be surprised. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I think it just, it, de- it depends on the scenario, but I don't, I don't think you should get a free action every single time that's that doesn't make any sense that's not realistic
0: Jed, how do you feel about it
2: yeah i, I agree um it, it's very situational uh you definitely want to have it make sense say you're resting just kind of shooting the shit while uh, a long rest happens maybe two of them are talking they failed their perception checks for the night. Like, you're obviously not going to have a means of reacting for, say, a crossbow bolt in itself in their player's arm, or maybe a, a bear. Uh, you didn't hear the bear over you guys talking through the bush right next to your campsite, and it just charges you. You don't have that kind of split second to prepare for it, so obviously... Uh, it's gonna roll its attack, and maybe if you're lucky and it doesn't hit, uh, you're maybe you're lucky enough where you can get the initiative advantage on it next round. But <laughs> yeah, you're not gonna squeeze out like, oh, in my third eye, I decided that I'm gonna uncanny dodge the bear that just appeared out of nowhere. Yeah, it's
0: yeah, it's definitely, definitely a case by case basis.
2: Yeah. Uh, but you definitely, if, if if they make you feel bad for you not, not letting them squeeze just a little bit of extra damage out, uh, kill their character, and then <laughs> <laughs> yes, <it's ruined. laughs> then you'll see what they can squeeze out. Now, uh, just <laughs> if, if if it's getting too much, maybe have a conversation with them. Be like, uh, listen, guys. You guys aren't, like, ready for everything unless you have that shitty feat that uh, allows you to never be surprised. But even that... Oh, we got the alert? Oh, shit. But yeah, just uh, case-by-case basis. It has to make sense. Obviously, if you're preparing, if you know that you're about to go in and fight a dragon maybe you uh, get that little time to prepare as it's talking to you, or maybe the dragon already knows you're in its lair and it's just waiting for you to walk into its chamber and it's gonna chomp you from above <laughs> maybe, okay. maybe you can get a reaction
0: maybe if I'm feeling generous, you, you'll get a reaction all right next question Nick's next artichoke 3716 asks how would you all handle a large scale battle like my current approach is having a large map with many different battles it's smaller battle maps for the party fights depending on what they did before the battle the other battles get influenced by that just not quite sure how to resolve those battles that the party is not actively participating in so i i guess the question is basically like how would you handle a large-scale battle with your adventuring parties
2: Um, it really just depends. Uh, Um, what, what, what do you, where do you want your story to go? Do you have a canonical, like, story reason for one side to win over the other? Maybe have a couple of large scale, um, kind of chunks of this war that you know is going to swing the tides. Maybe the enemy has a kind of trump card large monster within this fight that you think may be able to change the tide of battles, maybe roll out that combat ahead of time, Uh, see what the uh, influences are, or maybe roll it out as the fight's happening. If you see, maybe drop some little nuggets where your party sees this large-scale, like, this troop of heroic warriors fighting against this dire troll. It looks like the dire troll is getting the upper hand, but maybe your PCs can throw out their own fireball to kind of turn the tides on the dire troll. And you can kind of cross that off as one win for the good side. And with that, maybe you're compounding, say you need so-and-so many good side wins versus bad side wins to uh, decide the overall tide of this large scale battle while dropping your characters into a couple of maybe small scale battles, get some ads or maybe have the general or a death knight of the enemy army going against them to give them that kind of cinematic moment. Maybe throwing in those ads from time to time uh, from the side. Uh, this, this is definitely a, a uh, subject that could benefit from some random roll tables. Maybe you have uh, a certain amount of enemies that you have set up for this large-scale battle. And you could, every once in a while, roll on that random table and have that start participating in the fight. Maybe having your uh, teammates or your uh, party... Uh, advance through the battle as they defeat these kind of keystone monsters. These generals or these maybe a uh, very highly proficient mage uh, is controlling a portion of the battlefield. Your party can move through a couple of ads to make their way to this mage, and with them killing that mage, that counts one more towards the good side. It's pretty tough to kind of conceptualize a super large-scale battle, but there, there are a bunch of ways you could do it.
0: I just realized this is, like, really on point, because in your campaign, Jerry, that we're, like, literally in that moment. Is that, like, what you're doing with us right now?
2: Oh, absolutely not. I'm lazy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay, the whole thing.
2: No, just... <laughs> um, no I, I, I have, I, I do have, um, my one note is full of what is in the, uh, both sides armies um it it's a mixture of i'm throwing uh a bunch of things at you i have a couple of story points that i have in my head uh that it want to happen uh when they happen they'll happen and we'll see what the outcome of those story moments are potentially or maybe i'll decide to throw in a couple of extras uh it really is dependent on what you guys do um like you guys fought against the Grey Renders. It looked like there was some potential problems. Uh, I explained a couple of extra battles happening kind of around you, considering we had somebody who was in the sky with some boots of flying. And uh, I made some rolls on maybe a side scuffle, where a mage was fighting against a couple of, uh, you know, skeletons and renders. Uh, in which they had won those scuffles. Uh, They did well with their role, so she came and helped you guys out, take out your renders. And then, with that, it did advance you guys forward towards that uh, mark that you guys are going. Especially with you guys doing a kind of siege type. like The goal of your guys' war is to siege on a kind of Helm's Deep style Situation, so with each keystone uh, kill that you guys have, I'm just advancing guys steadily closer. Your guys' side is winning, making its way towards this outer wall, uh, soon to go onto that inside cloister. So you, you could almost look at it as, as a kind of tug of war on which side is winning uh, the battle. Versus, which side's losing, maybe the enemy pushes you back with their overwhelming forces, or maybe you guys have gotten the upper hand by taking out a key component of the war. It's all up in flux. But, uh, yeah, war war is a tough one to kind of do seamlessly, so there's no real wrong answer, but those are just some ideas that kind of came from my experience.
0: I mean, geez, that was. Like, really in depth.
1: <laughs> yeah, Sorry. those are just some simple ideas. <laughs>
2: I mean, I, I, I planned my. I planned the the battle that my uh, party is currently in uh, for a couple of months and put some thought into it. <clears throat> and then you guys fucked off and did a bunch of other stuff, and that allowed me to plan more of it
0: i think i actually did well probably not like nearly as what you went into but in my very first campaign at the very end of it it was just like one big war that's like between the, like the last standing city and the, like all this big wave of like undead crap and i basically went with um i had two roles basically and each one had like a modifier so, throughout the campaign, if, like, the heroes have, like, allies, I would add, like, a mod, like, a plus one to that. And if the bad guys did something, like, to help their side, it would be, like, plus one. And so, you know, the modifiers, however, they add it up, and it's just rolls throughout the whole thing, and whoever, like, makes it, like, what, like, uh, you know, three out of four, or, like, I think I did, like, first to, like, ten would win, but, um... Yeah, and I just kind of, every after every rule, I would narrate how, like, the battle's going. I I mean, I feel like that's, like, kind of the most simplified you could make it, in my mind, so.
2: No, it's definitely a really good way to work. just, like, a point system that benefits either a good plan or, like, a bad moment. It definitely helps create a dynamic battle in which maybe the bad guys are actually winning. And uh, that adds the tension to this war. Or if you start gaining those points, maybe you can see, you can narrate some sort of shift in the battlefield. Maybe a couple of the enemies are starting to retreat. Or maybe you can visibly see uh, your team overwhelming them as a whole battlefield full of enemy forces are dispatched in, in heaps
0: so many like if if you were like the player in this situation would you rather like help handle like the entire army like say you want to be a part of like okay I want these troops to go this way blah 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 and make it to like one big war game or would you rather like focus on the small and just like part of your group like fighting hordes until you get to
1: like some big bad guy Yeah, I don't think I would really care about what everybody else is doing. I would just really more care about, like, what our party is doing. I would assume that, like, we're kind of the stars (laughs) of the show. And so, you know, when it does get to, like, the main event, that we're probably going to be some of the last ones standing. So... I was feeling like, the same way. Like, this is, the, I mean, this is the, the,
0: the whole thing is about your character. So, yeah, technically, I wouldn't really care about
1: everyone else. Like, I want to, I
0: want the good side of win, of course. But, like, I don't, I don't really care about the troops flanking and all this stuff. You
1: know? Like, it might be, it might be fun to, uh, you know, occasionally throw in like a, and you notice that the, the field is, um, thinning out you notice that there seems to be more bodies on the ground (laughs) or like you know you notice that a dragon is now over a hundred yards from you so like maybe the dragon might come your way next but overall I think I would just be more concerned about what me and my party members are doing
0: totally I totally agree with that Uh, all right, so next question. I'm online right now. Says, one of my players has an AC of 20 right now. What do?
1: <laughs> attack them with higher uh, attack rolls.
2: Higher
0: <laughs> I mean, yeah, you, okay. You would choose probably, like, spells that would require, like, a deck save. Because... I mean, you attack their weakness, kind of. If it if it comes to that point where you're throwing, like, really weak minions and they're just not going to hit them because they have, like, a plus one to hit or something like that, and you're just re- using the wrong creatures entirely. So either you choose, like, bigger, badder guys, or you use spells that require, you know, a deck save or some save they're probably not going to save or throw, like, a fucking Ross monster at them. I feel like those are, like, the for this.
2: Yeah, definitely. uh, Sometimes you want to throw those weak monsters at them. Make them feel strong, but yeah. Yeah, like all the time. Yeah. As somebody who has a character with uh, like 23 AC uh, in my campaign, (laughs) uh, sometimes you just got to let those fireballs fly and let the magic happen. (laughs) Uh, I I know uh, in in my campaign and in the big battle that's ensuing – uh the last session led off with a dragon coming and nothing says fuck your armor glass like uh can you make a dexterity saving throw against <laughs> this dragon's friend? Yeah. Yeah. Uh saving throws are your best friends when you have a high AC uh PC. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could definitely throw those like high tiered plus 11 to hit enemies at them. Use those legendary actions to kind of whittle down their health. But, uh, in the end, nothing nothing makes them cry more than a DC 18 dexterity saving throw.
0: I don't have agree with that. There's a shadow monster guy. Is that like... I forgot what he does exactly. Does he, like, attack their strength modifier or something every time they hit
2: uh, Most things that have that high AC have strong, or high strength shadow monster, though.
0: I know, like, every time they, they, like, hit them, they roll, like, a D4, and if it's, like, you know, 1 through 4, they're down by that much until mm-hmm.
2: it hits 0 and they die. Just a red- regular shadow. Yeah. Uh yeah. Uh, anytime they get hit, uh, their strength is reduced by one d four, and they die if it reduces the strength. But it only has a plus four to hit, so. Oh, okay. That's not. Yeah.
0: Okay. Oh, that's that's like a wizard's worst nightmare.
2: <laughs> Though there are stronger ones. There's the Shadow Assassin that has a plus eight to hit. Oh and fuck! Does that? Ayo. <laughs>
0: I know there's like this old monster I think it was like 3rd edition or something like that It like when it attacks It attaches to your armor Right? I think it's like a, I think it might be a save rather than like an attack But it like attaches to your armor And then every turn It reduces like The armor point or whatever The AC by one oh Until it like disintegrates
2: The assassin bugs? No, 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 those are different this is something else. I forgot what it was called. That's why the old editions died.
0: Oh, oh my god, those monsters are way overpowered. It's awesome.
1: Uh.
2: <laughs> they removed the danger in D and D, man. All about <laughs> going shopping with your friends in Neverwinter.
1: <laughs>
2: I just want a shopping episode followed by a beach episode. <laughs>
0: I'd go nuts if it was just that, man. I need some action. I need, like, I need some conflict. I want somebody arguing with me.
2: Sometimes you feed a turtle and the turtle attacks you.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you didn't just feed the turtle. You, like, bonked it on its head to get its attention. Not
2: my intention.
1: But it wasn't even, like,
0: a normal turtle. It was a fucking giant-ass turtle. Like yeah, a yeah you were just
1: like a, t- like a <laughs> regular turtle.
0: And you're fucking, what is it, like, what are you, you're a gnome. Jeez, you're the so, size uh, of a toddler.
2: So, a good thing to know for anybody listening to this, uh, <laughs> Joe is notoriously uh, racist against gnomes. <laughs> I'm
0: not racist against gnomes. They haven't come. <laughs> they're a bunch of fucking little assholes. That's what all gnomes are. Nah, they're great. Gnomes are the <laughs> best. It just happened to play that way, okay? Like, my first character was Kobold, and Kobolds hate gnomes. I mean, that's kind of a good thing, right?
2: Yeah, it's, it's a blood feud.
0: <laughs>
2: like, it's not my fault.
0: It's what my character would do.
2: <laughs> it's what my character <laughs> would do. Uh, that's, a, that's a fucking ingredient in every uh, D&D horror story.
0: I feel like that's not like necessarily like, the worst saying, though. Like, I understand some no. people use it as an excuse, but isn't, like, the whole point of you playing as your
2: character, like,
0: literally, is what my character would probably do, though.
2: Yeah, no, it, the the thing itself isn't bad. It's just, it's always used to justify bad things. Yeah, my character uh, is gonna rape them. It's what he would do. He's an orc.
0: Yeah, that's just fucked up. <laughs> that's just going too far. My character's just a fucking murder I'm It's like, well, you probably need a new character. Yeah. Let's see. We're definitely over an hour. Do you guys want to do, like, one more question, or just call it? Or, like, we're good?
2: I'm down. Let's go.
0: Okay, here's here's a good one, I think. How do you remove characters without causing conflict?
2: Kill them.
1: What do you mean, remove them?
0: <laughs> oh, that was the question. Like, I don't know if it's, like, the person, or, like, the character. Like, the DM's just, like, and, like, slyly be like... This character's kind of bullshit. Maybe I should just kill them off. Or sail them off away.
2: Capture them. Make them, uh... Maybe they're a little overpowered for the level they're at. And, uh... Just capture them in the middle of the night. Put them into slavery. uh, Give them some humble (laughs) pie. uh, And make it a quest for your characters to go save them in which they uh, allow the person whose character got captured to uh, roll up a new character that everybody actually likes. And uh, they can go try to save them, but by the Jeez time the that dude. they save them, uh, the they like this new character so much better. So, Okay,
1: but what, what about the player that plays this character? You can't just go kidnap his character.
2: Well, he sounds like a dick, so... <laughs> now, um... Yeah, really. Without the context in this one, uh, if if they're a player who is just kind of over their character, I mean, maybe their character doesn't, their goals don't align with the party anymore.
1: Yeah, if the player is cool with it, you can come up with all sorts of ways. But if you're trying to get rid of the character, and it's not the player's choice, <laughs> that's gonna be a little. Drama invoking. Yeah, (laughs) just put a pit of
2: acid that uh, one character has to die, or else everybody dies, (sighs) and then you'll see who likes who in this party.
0: You're such a dick. (laughs) I get so much hate for that. Okay, back in my first campaign, there's this that I turned into like a side quest and one of like the trials is basically somebody sacrifices themselves for the everyone else to survive and you have to dive into this pit of acid and people move on but i technically they're supposed to live and be like oh you sacrificed yourself you did good now everyone goes but my version i mean you're you're doing this to get a wish like literally a wish and they're just like i'm just gonna dive in and then he dies because I mean, if you jump into a pool of acid for a wish spell, I mean, someone's gonna die.
1: So that's what happened. No, no, no. Listen, suppo- this was this the, is my attempt to, to get be out like, of the
0: campaign. They were supposed to wish for the campaign to end, and then I would be over it. Like, and it didn't happen that way at all.
1: You're you know? supposed to give them that movie moment where they're like, you deserve a wish because you were willing to sacrifice yourself not actually kill them.
0: I know there's mistakes were made because he has actually a really fucking cool character. I like that character Dude, a lot. was
2: Jacob's <laughs> coolest character that he it was really into. And I fucking ruined everything. Uh, he broke Jacob. Now I now broke he Jacob. not anymore.
1: <laughs> I broke him. Good job.
2: Uh, why he liked Hentai uh.
1: The
0: secret, Jared. No one's supposed to know.
2: Uh, (laughs) Rest in peace, guest at home.
0: Guest at home.
2: Uh, The coolest character we've uh, ever had in our campaign. What
0: was he? Was he a bard?
2: He was a Tabaxi swashbuckler, I believe. (sighs) He was. No, he's a Tabaxi samurai. That's that's what he was. He was a
0: samurai, and he'd always tell like these stories and everything. His charisma was like insanely high.
2: Managed to and bluff his way around a a whole guard,
0: like God, that was so cool. He had like uh, groupies after that point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was so fun. All right, moving away from that one. Why does D&D five E get so much
1: hate? Uh,
2: they made it really easy and user friendly to attempt to bring in a kind of wider audience. A kind of more mainstream audience uh, in a way that it's super accessible. They've kind of took out a lot of the number crunching and made things a little bit more ambiguous to facilitate a just an easier sense of, like, storytelling. But in that uh, a lot of the hardcore players uh, say, oh, this is an empty system that's way too easy and not, uh, customizable in the sense that you have 8 million, like, attacks and whatnot to make your character super, super special. Listen, I just don't
0: want my like battles to take up the entire fucking session.
2: They already do. <laughs>
0: <laughs> like, for all the hate that 5e gets, like, I, all their, like, all the negative stuff, you just said, like, it's simple, and like, blah, blah, blah. It's like, I feel like that's, like, the good stuff. Like, I, I just want to play. I don't want to well, I've been like six hours trying to fine tune my character about some tiny little detail. I just I just want to role play. I want to play. I want to fight some bad guys. I want to like, kick their ass. Like 5e is like literally kind of what got me into D&D. Like the idea of it, like you know, 4e and 3e, I was just like, oh, sounds really cool, but it looks so fucking complicated. But then 5e came out. i just like reading it up. It's like this isn't like that bad,
2: really. No, it's it's definitely the system kind of quote-unquote for the people like it's it's meant to be easier for the sake of streamlining streamlining
0: and i'm all for that simple the fuck out of it mandy is that why you got (laughs) it or is that like would you have gotten into like the older stuff or is this like complicated shit Where did you go?
1: Oh, sorry, I sneezed. I <laughs> I didn't know. I didn't know that question was at me. I thought it was at Jared. Oh. Um. I don't. To be honest with you, I don't know anything about any of the earlier systems, so I have nothing to compare it to.
2: Yeah, she just kind of got into D and D because uh, a group got together because two other people were like me and Steve were into D and D and so she just kind of came in as a plus one and just stayed
1: <laughs>
2: enjoyed it actually
1: yeah so I have no idea what the other uh, types are are like if I would like them or dislike them
2: uh, I definitely know that she would be far more confused with uh, 3.5 it was a lot more number crunchy and a lot more there were a lot of different things that you had to keep uh, your uh, I think that was that might have been three, but yeah, the the way that armor class was calculated and damage was calculated was all completely different. There were all sorts the battles
0: of, like, were insane. It, it took they took like realism and just jumped it to another level, and they made battles like insanely like like specific technical like. He is technically like three inches off, and because of like it's slightly colder than usual, that deals another like half. I'm just like That's too much. There's some shit in that. Like I'm I'm exaggerating, of course, but like there's there's a lot of specific shit that goes with I think it was specifically fourth edition, but they tried to make it into like a video game, basically. Yeah, I don't know
2: what shit about fourth edition. I right hear it. Got uh, real real bad.
0: Like, there were some good things that went with it. Some, like, some of the rules, like, the minion rules, I thought were, like, pretty on point. But, um, yeah, they, they got really technical with some of that shit. Complete opposite of 5e, I feel like.
2: <laughs> yeah, they also kind of, like, super simplified things. Like, I know in the older editions, alignment uh, actually meant something. Oh, yeah. Uh, you could only do certain things. I think certain classes were tied to your alignment. And so, you couldn't be, like, a chaotic evil paladin.
0: Yeah, it was super limited. Like, it was funny how they played that. Like, it was... (laughs) Like, they talk about 5e being simplified, but you could have so much more fun. You could do so much more stuff and be way more creative with it compared to, like, you know, second edition where you can only play, like, fighter or rogue or if you wanted to be like this. I'm just like, there's, like, zero choices for you, really. I just... I don't know, I feel like that's just boring.
2: Yeah, I'm all about letting people have as much fun as they want, and working things. Like, the good thing about D&D, no matter what edition it is, you can kind of fudge things or create things, and you can ultimately make the game whatever you want it to be. One of the kind of most important rules of D&D is that the rules are a guideline Uh, they're an important guideline like I like sticking to as many rules as I want but you always have that freedom to kind of spread your wings and maybe maybe uh, make magic a little more easier to cast or say your character wants a specific spell that's not real just uh, find a way to make it happen
1: Magic
0: items can
2: be crafted. Just have fun.
0: Yeah. I like that. Just have fun.
1: Just have fun. That's what it all, all boils down to.
0: And one last question by the D&D In all seriousness, do you think there's too much pressure on DMs to create the perfect settingslash
1: game? Hmm. I think that depends on the players.
2: Yeah. Overall, not really. I mean, In my experience, everybody's just there to have fun. Um, I know my players uh, seem to have fun, whether I have a super planned out session or if I'm just kind of bullshitting my way through everything. (laughs) True. In in the end, um, we're all just there to have fun, do a little improv storytelling, and... Uh, I've never felt any necessary pressure. Uh, Obviously there's that kind of self-wrought pressure of you wanting to make your world perfect, wanting to leave that session really thinking that man, I nailed it. My players absolutely love that. We had a great time, but at the end of the day uh, all of your players are just happy that you're DMing a campaign for them. A lot of them just want to play D&D, and unless you're a complete asshole the whole time, they're just going to have a good time. I
0: always think it's like in the DM's head, like, they think the DM cares about, more about making the perfect campaign more than the players do.
2: Yeah. Because all they want to do is fucking... Uh, buy chickens and set them <gasps> loose on the town square or some random crazy shit. What? Players do some wacky <laughs> shit. You have a nice little like town set up for them, and all of a sudden, oh god, I guess we gotta rob the rich and uh, break into a jewelry store at night. <laughs> at least my party does. <laughs>
0: Your party's insane.
2: Yeah. Sometimes when you make your party too strong, their heads get too big and they do too wacko, crazy shit.
0: Dude, when your party gets, like, level 15, level 14, or whatever. I mean, like, the sky's the limit here yeah. at, at that point. Like, who's going to stop you? Dragons. Dragons. <laughs> I think that's like my problem this like i want to buy like all the minis i want to i want to get the specific battle map i want to get that tv with like the perfect battle mat that people can play on where i want that dwarven forge like 3d fucking battle mat and i can put the minis on a castle and shit. like ugh, i want all that shit. If but it's so expensive we had a
2: million dollars yeah if we
0: had like a million dollars I'd have like surround sound. i have like a professional equipment next to me on dials and knobs. And then I would just like, I'd turn up like music and then, like, oh, you're in town. Here's some chickens. Here's some donkeys. Here's a guy arguing with another guy. It's like, it's my dream, but it's never going to come true. And it really doesn't
2: matter in the long run. Nope. The first nope. time I ever played any D&D was sitting at a, just a table with uh, two other people no battle map, no characters rolled out. We just talked. just (laughs) talked and used the theater of our mind to uh, take over a government building and that's it. We were a little anarchist who who peed on the government. (laughs) (laughs) And it was hilarious.
0: That's awesome. Well, that was my last question. I think we covered everything pretty well in this hour and a half show.
2: Yeah. Dope. Extra long episode for extra fun time.
0: I was worried we could get through this, like, really fast.
1: I wanted to go up. Jared had all these, like, well-thought-out, epic strategies as if he already knew the questions.
0: I know. I literally did not tell any of you guys about the questions, so I figured it'd be a bit more, like, off the cuff, but Jared's over here, like... I've been thinking about these for ages. I was <laughs> waiting for the right moment.
2: I opened my third eyes and looked at the question <laughs> prompt.
0: Oh, Jesus Christ. Uh, <laughs> it's like the true neutral ones okay. came out. It's like, oh, yeah, this druid and it this super re- volcano comes out.
2: <laughs> like, it kind of reminds me of uh, the DM, or players against the DM. Oh, yeah. Kind of given a prompt and you make a little story out of it. A little one-shot. <laughs> time
0: all right well thank you for listening to our podcast i appreciate it go to mightyflail.com i added some more uh articles like oh my god it's Mistra. you know she dies a fucking lot holy shit and then we're talking i did one about um or claws of luthic They're like the mama bears of the orc world. They're pretty fucking awesome. They have like four foot claws on their fingers and just rip you to shreds. They're like unbreakable. And they're like basically monk paladins of orcs too, so it's... They're pretty fucking awesome. ...to like half health. They could do four claw attacks on you, which is like an average of like 30 damage.
2: Jesus, I need to throw some of those at you guys. I'm
0: telling you, man, like, orcs got some shit.
2: Is that 5e?
0: Yeah, Orcs got this whole, like, sub-orc thing going on. They have, like, assassin orcs. They got, like, priest orcs. They got orcs that blow up suicidal guys. <laughs> I don't know. It's crazy. Well, yeah. Come to my website. I'd appreciate it. So that's about it. Do you guys want to see anything before we go?
2: Uh, if you like this podcast, uh, rate it high on... Whatever sh- service that you're listening to on Spotify. Spotify, yeah. yeah, Tell Spotify that we're doing great. Uh, we're the best around, and nothing's <laughs> ever gonna take us down. Yeah, Except we're like dragons. one
0: of the few podcasts that aren't like live action playing. I feel like
2: if you want to like see it's live action play, follow us on Spotify. <laughs> <laughs> we'll make it happen.
0: <laughs> awesome. Mandy, any closing remarks?
1: Uh don't be a dick.
2: Don't be a dick. Don't be a dick. Number two rule of D D <laughs> What's number one? Have fun. Have fun.
0: Oh, that's so wholesome.
1: Have fun and don't be a dick.
0: And don't be a dick. What's rule number three? Uh, don't split the party.
2: Don't split the party. Oh, Bad
0: that's old. for fucking real. That is true on so many levels. Alright, bye guys. Bye. Goodbye. And then I edit it. it (laughs) Fuck.